Welcome to episode 11 of Cast IQ, the intelligent podcast for entrepreneurs. Today's founder's story comes from Michaela Wayne. She's a serial entrepreneur and also too was the one of the finalists, should I say, on BBC's The Apprentice. Even before applying to The Apprentice, however, she had already built a group of businesses turning over in excess of three million. So it does beg the question as to why she applied in the first place. All will be revealed. We touch on a background. We touch on, also on a, a battle with anxiety and, and mental illness. We also touch on why she's passionate for being a voice for women in construction and we get to dish the dirt on what it's really like to be in front of Lord Alan Sugar and also to what it's like to be fired. She's going to kill me for saying this, she'll either kill me or she'll sue me but underneath that glam exterior there is somebody that's uber ambitious, she's super smart and completely northern, she's sassy and she takes no prisoners but there's also a human touch as well. This is Michaela Wayne, and this is her story. Welcome. Welcome to the podcast. Hello, thank you for having me. Oh no, you're welcome. Um, so tell us a little bit about your like personal background. I know we, we share a hometown, don't we, of Bolton? Um, yeah. Where were you brought up? What you know, where would you come from? Bolton, born and bred. Um, a, a very nice part of Bolton called Braitmet, which is in the middle of it. But it was lots of fun growing up there. Um, yeah, and I'm still in Bolton now. I'm 36, I'll never move out, no matter what. I do business nationally, but I will never leave Bolton. I love the place and the people. It's a bit like Hotel California, I guess, isn't it? You can check out, but you can never leave. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have some twisted loyalty to Bolton. I don't know what it is. I just can't leave the gap. <laughs> I, know, I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> um, so, you, growing up in Bolton then, um, you know what what kind of brought you to kind of where, where you are now because you know I, I tend to like to understand I suppose a little bit about the backstory you know there's reasons why people go into business there's reasons why people you know go into the work that they do and, and sometimes that's often informed in terms of by the background and, and you know where they were brought up and how they were brought up etc what what do you think was the reason why you've done what you've done uh, a lot of it's an accident, I'm not going to lie, I think, I don't think anybody planned, well, just some people do, but I was never, when I was younger, I never thought, oh, I'm going to own my own business. I wanted to be a footballer, actually, when I was really little, and then that moved on to then being a teacher when I realised, at the time, girls couldn't really play football. Um, I could play football a lot better than most men, but I mean, there was no teams then for women's player football. So, um, yeah, I, I decided to go to university, uh, but I dropped out of that. I was just, education wasn't for me. Don't like authority. And I guess I grew up quite poor, not like, we weren't 
life in tatters or anything, but we had free school dinners, free school meals. Um, we didn't have the best of everything like other children would have. So I always knew that I wanted to earn money. I always had this drive to earn money. I just didn't really know how to. And then accidentally, I started working at a construction magazine on a year out from uni and it developed from there. I ended up with my own one. Got you. Okay. Well, we'll come to that in a second then. So was that you say first sales job then? Um, no, my first sales job was terrible. It was uh, selling windows when I was 17, actually selling windows and doors, you know, ringing people out at Yellow Pages. Yeah. Oh, well, doing my A-levels. I, I cannot describe how much I detested this job because everybody just detested me when you ring them up and they just, everybody was hanging up on you. It was so difficult to do. But I do think it's good for all salespeople to experience that because it does, um, build up your resilience to when people are a bit of a nice manner. Nothing can be as bad as selling windows and doors doing telesales. Um, yeah, in this real little dive office where we'd all be smoking upstairs as well at our desk. It was just, yeah, it was awful. So that was my first, that was my first sales job, but I, di I didn't last long though, maybe about four months. I used to flit about a lot between jobs. I couldn't settle anywhere. Do you think that's a, I don't know. Do you think that's um, like a commonality, like a common trait between entrepreneurs is that they can't settle. They can't kind of stay in one place. They've got to be kind of thinking about what's next, what's next, what's next. 100%. I think an entrepreneur, when you're starting off, you'll, you'll always be wanting to do better or you feel like there's some calling in life and you don't know what that calling is. You just have something within you that maybe seems like you're a bit of an idiot when you're younger because I used to always think, going to do something more than what I'm doing like whatever that was at the time I think I'm going to be better than this I'm going to do something more and I had no idea what that something would be but I always felt like I had a greater purpose in the world and that might sound really weird I did study religion at university as well so I do have this um kind of faith thing going on but I always just believed in something more although I had no plans on what that would be. And so I think I couldn't settle until I actually found what this more thing was. Turns out it was my own business. That was what the more was for me. So what made you make the jump then? You said you went to work for a construction magazine in, in their sales department. Um, tell us the story then. What, what led to you kind of making the jump to your own magazine and launching your own product? There was a, there was a couple of, of issues but the, the deciding factor for me was I was really good at my job when I started working for that company I think they was doing about 10 grand a month in sales and by the time I left the business they was doing between 70 and 80 grand a month and yeah. that is purely because I went there and also my colleague who had come from another place we both went together she was incredibly good and I was good and inventive so i would find new ways to sell our services and products to people and i then trained everybody who came through the door to do what i was doing um, to retain customers to resell none of this was the thing there was i think they may have ended up being a fly-by-night company if we wouldn't have gone there in all honesty so i knew what i brought to the company and um after a couple of years of being there they was going to bring in a sales manager so I saw my ass over a bit because I believe in promoting from within. And I think I would have been good at the job. 
although I was a bit of a liability, I can't really be told what to do, hence it ended up having to have my own company. But I think if they would have put me in a position of authority and they would have believed in me a little bit more, I would have actually stayed there. Um, but they brought somebody else in and basically wanted me to train him, which I did do, and then wanted him to tell me to get on the phone or what to do. And I just had no respect for the guy, which was a shame because it wasn't his fault at all. But I just thought, I trained you on what to do and now you're going to tell me what to do when I turn this company around. And I just started losing respect for, for the business and, and how they was trading. And I got pregnant, had my son, started to work from home because I didn't want to be in this atmosphere of somebody I trained telling me what to do. And in the end, I just thought, you know what? I can do this myself. I'm earning them a load of money. I think I can just um, start it myself. I've got contacts. I know what I'm doing. Let's crack on and see what happens. And I decided. I literally decided, told them, and then the next day I was trading myself. So it was, it was quite a rash decision. Did well, you take any staff with you? My brother. My brother also went there as well. So I had the discussion with him. And then, no, we didn't take any staff. It was just us two. Um, but who I was saying, the colleague who had started that company with me all those years ago, um, she's actually my best friend. And so after about a year and a half of us trading, once she realised we were stable and it was all going well, she, she did come to work for us as well. Fantastic. What were your main fears then, you know, in making that jump? Because obviously you've got the benefit of a salary, you've got the benefit of, um, of I suppose, some security, especially given that, you know, you, you've got a young family now as well. And what were your concerns? Did you not kind of worry about the kind of the leap of, of, of then having to manage cash flow as well as manage everything else? No, I didn't. Honestly, I must have been naive or stupid. Or I don't know what you will call it, but I had no concerns. I had zero fears. I made the decision in a split second, but it was something that was niggling away in my head for probably for years, to be honest. Yeah. Um, and I just made the decision in a split second and stuck to it. And I just think you get to the point when you're going to start your own business where you decide I'm going to start my own business. And if you then procrastinate, you, it's just going to take you longer to start your business. If you ever do, I think you've got to have that personality where you just throw yourself in at the deep end. And do not get me wrong, I made millions of mistakes. And I'm still making mistakes on a regular basis to this day. I had no idea what I was doing and I mean not a single clue but I just learned it when I went when you as you go along if you worry about everything that could go wrong you are never going to do anything you're never going to change job roles you're never going to start your own business you're never going to progress up your career ladder you've just got to go for it and then just wing it as you go along and develop so tell us about day one then it was amazing. I think I did like um, three and a half grand in sales in day one. I just right. run business where I previously worked for and they just said, listen, I'm starting a construction magazine. This is the situation. Um, we've acquired a database. It was different 10 years ago. Um, we got a database off a supplier who was providing email addresses and said, I've got a web developer who's working for us. It's going to be solely online, but I'm going to be able to give you the analytics, something that you couldn't get at the competitive companies because they was just hard copy. So I was saying, I'm actually going to be able to give you feedback, tell you how many people are clicking through to your website blah 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 please will you give us a try i'll give you a 20 percent discount and people just 
just bought into it even without I had nothing to show them I couldn't show them a previous issue I couldn't even show them a website I had nothing and um I was obviously good at sales and um yeah I think in my first month we did just over 15,000 pounds in the first month and by month three we was doing it about 20 grand a month and then we we got our own offices and started to um take people on working for us so yeah we we'd scaled up to we was doing what our competitors was doing um, and we had quite a lot of stuff looking for us so it, it it did fortunately go well however i didn't know anything about tax fat or any of that stuff that was um, a humongous headache later down the line i can imagine well then again that's what you pay accountants for isn't it to you know to get yeah. you around that kind of issue um yeah. no i think also too i think it, it's it's remarkable isn't it at the end of the day if you get the sales right the rest follow you know you, you can and i think this is the drawback with other businesses is too is that you go into business and then a lot of people don't like the sales aspect they don't like the, the fact that they're gonna have to pick up the phone or they're gonna have to kind of make contact with other people perhaps even strangers and 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 actually generate business but at the end of the day once they get that nailed the rest just follows you know the the operational side of it that can be dealt with you know the finance aspects that can be dealt with get the sales right and you're on to a winner really aren't you like you say three and a half grand in your first day and 15k in your first month yeah well i don't think anybody can come and work for your company and ever sell your products or services as well as what you were going to do or as well as what you should be able to and if you're passionate enough in the first place to start a business then you should be able to um tell everybody about that in a passionate manner and as long as you're passionate about a product or service people will buy into that there's no like hidden sales techniques i see all these courses and i think sometimes i do think you know this oh that that's a good tip or oh actually we do that and i and i would never have known how to put that into words but i don't really believe in you can teach somebody sales i think you're either passionate about the product and service or you're not and i, I believe strongly that it is passion what is going to sell your products for you because all you need to do is tell somebody the facts about the service and if you do that in a passionate manner they will buy into it absolutely 100 percent. so talk to us a little bit about your business then i mean you, you've mentioned you've touched on it slightly in terms of you know it was more of an online magazine as opposed to a physical magazine talk to us more about what what, what it does and what kind of what position it sits in within the industry yeah well it's developed on from there so it is actually hard copying online now the magazine and over the last 10 years we've built the readership so it's at around 290,000 um, subscribers a month to the magazine online and hard copy but from there we've developed the business into uh, an agency now so rather than it just being a construction magazine which is sent out um, that is our kind of flagship product but we're, we also do digital marketing web design web okay. banner awareness press releases so we we cover everything so for startup companies or smes generally who are looking to develop then will be the will act as their agency they sign contracts with us and we manage everything for them um, but you know we do things for huge blue chip companies club wembley um isuzu are one of our clients you know the pickup trucks um so we we work for big big companies as well but um oh. my favorite is the is the startup companies those looking to expand because i really enjoy watching people do well and progress the companies you see an element of yourself in that as well don't you when you when you help a startup get get up and running and you can think back to 
how you felt on that first day you know and and maybe even some of the, the kind of nervous tensions around it too but seeing them succeed is, is something else isn't it uh, yeah i think um, i'm a pisces and i think by nature i'm quite soft-hearted and i um, maybe i'm a bit too charitable when it comes to my business i feel like i should well people say i should charge more for the time and effort that we've that I put into things and therefore make the team put into it as well. But I genuinely just think if you were going to come and trust me with your money, your reputation, your brand and your marketing, then I am 100% going to do the, the best that I can possibly do. I want you to do well so that you keep with me as, and you can remain our customer and I can obviously keep earning money as well. But um, it, it's a lot easier to keep people happy than to keep finding new people. So I think if you really treat people really, really well and have a passion for their business as well, then you'll be successful at marketing. Fantastic. Go on. <laughs> No, no, and, and I think business as well, not just marketing. I think you need to you need to have that um, kind of passion for other people's business uh, as well to be successful within your own business. Yeah, I completely agree with you. You, you can't not be passionate about other people and other people's business if, if you're in, certainly if you're in B2B. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what would you say your, your figures are like at the moment in, in terms of the business? You, you've grown it literally within a few years to, to where it is now. What? Are you able to talk about turnover or? Yeah, so within this company, we, we actually scaled everything back before the lockdown. Well, it was in the November. Um, we we wasn't going down the right path, basically. So we, we was changing everything about. So our sales went dramatically down. And then just before lockdown, we was um, we picked back up. So I guess we was around, we would have been on track to do about a million turnover, but then the, the lockdowns hit. So that's been an absolute killer for us. Uh, and I mean, an absolute killer. Um, so I would hope that this time next year, we'd be on track again to be turning over a million. Um, that's within the agency business. I have another Utility Connections company that turns over about three million a year. Okay, we'll come but to that as well. Actually, as good on that one as, as what they, as what they are with the agency work. So, I can imagine. Um, you you've often spoken out about um, I suppose issues with I suppose challenges. Sorry, should I say, um, with women being in construction. Um, what's led to that passion? What's led to that kind of you know being so kind of vocal about this issue and Again, that was again. Um, it was basically because I was on The Apprentice, and then afterwards, I was labelled as a woman in construction, and I genuinely did not know that this was a thing that women would struggle in construction. Which sounds completely ridiculous, given that I've been in that industry for seven years. And looking back, I had discriminated against hundreds of times if not thousands of times and had all of the comments and just being a woman in business as well you, but I never put it down to oh I'm a woman in construction for me I just put it down to that guy no like and, and then I'd move on with move on with my life and I didn't really think anything more of it until after The Apprentice and then I started doing public speaking and um, going to more events and things and loads of women was coming over telling me their experiences 
and I'd had similar experiences. And then I started to realize, actually, this is a trend within the industry. It isn't just that one particular person was a knob. There's actually quite a lot of knobs out there as well. And so maybe this can be addressed and I can help other women who are weaker, perhaps, not weaker than me, but who do not, who wouldn't look at things the same as, as what I would look at. I can brush things off and move on with my day, but for some people, it's gonna, some women will stop their career in construction because there are so many of these comments and, and they just, they can't handle it or they don't wanna handle it and they, they will not deal with it the same as me. So I thought if I have got a platform and a voice, then I think it's only right that I should be helping other women who have experienced this and tell them how I deal with it and hopefully keep more women in the industry. Yeah, absolutely. Are you are you aware of the stats in the industry? I'm not I'm not completely okay with them, but I think they're quite well anyway, aren't they? There's 13% of women in construction uh, in comparison to its general split of 50-50 men and women working. There's only 13% in construction. Um, actually, on the tools, they say that there's 3% of women on sites. However, 2% of those are actually cleaners. So there is 1% of women on tools. And I have met, I'm going to say, over 50 women over the last two years who have been in construction, been on the tools and have stopped because of how they've been treated by men on site. And I've met also a lot of men who say, oh, it's just the banter on site. This is how they treat other men, um, blah, blah, blah. But when you're a man on site and you have a network of other men or the other people who you're close to on site, you have other people who you can speak to a woman's going on that site with no other women a lot of the time and she has nobody who she can confide in and so all that this turns into when you're having all of these digs is really just bullying it's really yeah. just people who is on their own and not all women are gonna stand there and argue with a man on site and why and why should they like i've had so many arguments with men where they say that is just the way that it is and women should adapt that, that isn't the reality of life, no. If you are making somebody feel uncomfortable, then you need to change your ways. I would have absolutely zero problem calling a man out on his bullshit and putting him in his place in front of everybody on the site. However, not every single person's like me, not just women. You know, men don't like to deal with this shit as well on sites, but they feel like they have to because that's the way that things go. The whole culture of site work needs to change and to accept women more. Completely agree. Absolutely, 100%. Rant finished. <laughs> <That's> like... <laughs> Mic drop. <laughs> Sorry, that was a bit so, of a... You've touched on The Apprentice. What made you do it? Um, it was... Mainly, I, I suffered with anxiety for all my life. Um, and I fell, I, I'd worked on it and I, I was kind of better from most things, but I could feel this niggling feeling coming back. And in all honesty, I, I felt like if I go on The Apprentice, I'm gonna push myself out of my comfort zone and um, hopefully get over these, I felt like panic attacks was coming back. And so I thought if I can put myself in a very stressful situation and get through it, I'll always have something to recall and um, prove that I am capable of doing other things in future which absolutely to be honest was my main reason uh, and i just thought oh i'd have a i'd have a right laugh as well it seemed like fun 
<laughs> I completely agree. I, I, do you know it's funny? Funny enough, isn't it that when you when you take yourself down a, a route of kind of developing a, a stronger mindset or developing mental toughness and resilience, you can then, like you say, reflect back on it and think, well, do you know what? This isn't this isn't really as hard as I think it is, and you're able to push through a great deal of more things. So I, I I get that uh, to to a large degree. Um, yeah. So you applied to the apprentice, and you you got through. What what were your feelings then? Oh, I was incredibly nervous. Like I said, I was suffering from anxiety. It only started to lift in about on TV. What would have been about episode six? So I was a few weeks in the house with people before I started to get quite comfortable. I was I was just. I was sweating a lot, to be honest, and, and, and I felt really intimidated. I'd never watched The Apprentice, and it's, so I just presumed everybody's going to be like really intelligent solicitors and business owners and really have the shit together. And then as time went on, I realized like, oh, actually, um, I'm just as experienced, if not more than everybody else in this process, and I did deserve a place that I, I felt a little bit... Um, like, oh my God, what am I doing here? But when I got to know everybody, I realised, like, you know, it was actually, it was, it was going to be all right. So what was the first day like? It was awful. I, felt, I was just, I didn't eat for about four days, I don't think. I, I can't eat when I get nervous and I felt really sick. And you just, you go into that waiting room before you're in the boardroom. You haven't met anyone. You're like all in these separate little pods getting your makeup done. So all this tension's building up and then you have to stand there in silence for about an hour, literally for about an hour, just looking around at people. And I was thinking, oh my God, I bet he's a salesman. I bet she's this and making all these judgments. And then you go into the boardroom and Lord Sugar like, um, calls everybody out and picks out things of the CV and describes what everybody's doing. And as he did that, I was like, oh, all right. And realized that like, not everybody actually had really strong careers or, or businesses um, in comparison to what I was doing. I don't mean really strong, you know, a lot of them were successful in their own right, but nobody was stood there when he turned me into me and was like, you turn over over three million pound, Michaela, why are you here? I was like, I don't know. I have no idea what to say. And, I mean, they edited it well, but Karen Brady actually had to speak for me. <laughs> she was like, what are you trying to do better? I was like, yes, I am. <laughs> but then when we got back to the house, everybody was saying like how successful I was and how they was intimidated by me. And so I think in the end, you all just feel the same. You know, you, everybody I think was just as nervous as each other, but you just don't, you don't know that. <laughs> yeah. It's like a room full of imposter syndrome, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's quite traumatic, but, but again, nothing can possibly be worse than that feeling. So it's got me through a lot of public speaking events, recalling that and thinking nothing is as bad as that. I've got to ask this question, and I don't know whether it's, it's a question my, my listeners would want, want to kind of hear as well, but is Lord Sugar as much of a... It, it, well, okay, I won't swear, but because I don't think it's fair, I suppose, but is he as bad as he makes out? Or, you know, is his persona the same on TV as it is in real life? Yeah, I think, I mean, I don't think he's, he's that bad at all. He is the same on TV as what you see in real life, but I think he's just, number one, he's a highly successful businessman. I think anybody who you meet in business, a real 
blunt and to the point and and i think it's purely for efficiency people accuse me of it of like oh you're so straight talking or you're so blunt but i'm just want to get my point across in the most efficient manner so we can all move on with our day and i think he is just the same um where he just says exactly what he thinks and at the end of the day if you're asking somebody for 250 grand and you've got people in a room who are just taking the piss then you're gonna you're gonna call them out on it so I really liked him and um, I was again incredibly nervous when I was on there and I think he felt sorry for me he was never anything but really nice to me I think he had a, a soft spot from it and um, I think Claude and Karen did as well because I could never get my words out and I think they saw that I was um, all right when I was out doing the work but when it came to these intense boardroom things I, I just couldn't talk so everybody to be fair was really nice to me um, he was a bit harsh with other people, but I never felt like it was unjust, really. I don't think he ever, he never picked on anyone. I think he just would call you out if, you, if you've been terrible. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that in life or in a boardroom. Accountability, isn't it, I suppose? Yeah, I mean, just don't mess up. Or if, you, if you're going to mess up, you just have to say like, yeah, I'm sorry. I messed up one whole task. And I was like, yeah, it's, it is my fault. Yes, I should not have done this. But he is worse than me. <laughs> <laughs> and really went in on somebody called Elliot. And um, in the end, Elliot got fired because he wouldn't own up to his mistakes. And although I had made far more mistakes than him and I was the project manager, I didn't get fired and Elliot did. And I think that comes down to the honesty and just the accountability, like you say. What were the boardrooms like then? You know, when, when you're dragged in, I suppose, after the task and somebody's going to get fired, you know, what, would, what was the atmosphere like in that room? Yeah, it was tense. So I'll tell you some inside info. Before you go into the, the boardroom for full day of filming, so you get up in the morning at half four, five o'clock, you go to the um, place where this is filmed, and then you're all in a room together uh, with no windows and a pool table that you're not allowed to use. And um, then production staff are in there as well, and you are not allowed to speak for hours. And I mean, you are there for hours for about four or five hours everybody gets the makeup done and gets the hair done whatever it is no speaking whatsoever then you wait in that bit before you go in the boardroom no speaking then you go into the boardroom and all hell breaks loose like lord sugar just starts going in on everybody you've been this wrong you've been that wrong that lasts for hours then you find out who's lost then you have to go to the losers cafe and everybody argues over whose fault it is then you come back and everybody's arguing again and then the person decides which to stay. And, and then at this point, if you are being kept behind, you're probably going to be there till about half nine, ten o'clock at night from half four in the morning. So it's a long, stressful, intense day. But um, nobody ever brought me back. So I, I was only ever in there once and that's because I was the project manager and lost. So yeah. I, I, right, otherwise, yeah, I would have argued till the death though, on, on whatever task I was on, I think. And that's what, that's what most people do, isn't it? I did some research um, on, because I didn't see the series that you were in. Um, in fact, what, se what series was it? Uh, 13. 13. Mm. Um, I didn't see that series, but I did some research prior to, the, you know, to this podcast. And there's a, I don't know whether you've seen it or not, but there's a gif of you. And literally, you give this guy that's next to you this look of death. Yeah. And of course, 
It's hilarious. But he looks so ill, he'd be stone dead. <laughs> yeah, he was just talking absolute nonsense. And what's so funny is in that boardroom, I was going to, so I had to bring them back, and I was going to bring back Elliot and Charles, this other bloke, who I felt was to blame. But Lord Sugar was basically saying to me, Michaela, Harrison I'd chosen as the project manager, and he was yeah. basically Harrison was uh, is the sub sub team leader, whatever it's called, and he was basically saying it's you should bring Harrison back in here more than Charles, and he was like, do not make a personal decision here; it needs to be a business one. And so I wouldn't have brought Harrison back, but I felt like oh I had to because of what he was saying. I thought there's no way I'm going to get myself fired. Um, Harrison's coming back, and now I don't know if you know, but me and Harrison actually have a son together. So I dragged Harrison into the boardroom with me and Elliot, and we never actually turned on each other, me and Harrison, the whole time. We was just going in on Elliot. It was like we, you can't speak, but it was the unwritten rule. We was good friends at the time. Nothing was going on. We was just mates, and it was the unwritten rule. We was we was loyal to each other. We was never going to go in on each other. So there's a, a scene in the boardroom where me and Harrison are just laying into Elliot, and I'm like, oh my god, imagine when my son's older, I'm going to be like, number one, your mum tried to get your dad fired, and number two, your mum and dad really turned on someone and got him fired. <laughs> That's really, that's a great story, I've got to say. <laughs> the fact that you're together as well is, you know, and have a son together as well is just absolutely phenomenal. Yeah. So what was the best thing that you, what did you learn from The Apprentice then? What would you say your biggest learnings were? Um, probably to realise that I am just as, um, what's the word, just as capable as most people out there. I feel like most people are winging it and not a lot of people will tell you that. I've met loads of people who are super professional, super confident, I'm so great, I'm so great. And then when I speak to them and I'm like, oh my God, I'm a nervous wreck, they will then open up and, and say, oh, I'm a nervous wreck as well. Or I'll say, this isn't going well. And people will then say, oh, I feel the same. So I've learned over time and throughout that process that actually a lot of people feel exactly the way that I feel. It's just, they tend to hide it better, which from that um, gave me more self-confidence. Fantastic. I, if you can take anything from, from that sort of experience, it's self-confidence, isn't it? Yeah. What, yeah. what was the, I think you're going to, I think I know the answer to this, but what would you say the best thing to come from The Apprentice was? Well, obviously I've got a, a beautiful little son now. So he was a hundred percent the best thing to, to come from. I'd, I'd really struggled to have children. I was told that I may never have children as well. I do have another son, uh, by the way, but um, he, he's 10 and I was told that he just, you know, I was having a lot of problems anyway over the years. Um, and then he, Grayson was a, a complete accident, came along by surprise. And so I feel like sometimes these things are meant to be, you know, maybe that was the reason that I was meant to go on to the apprentice so that I could have my son and meet, and meet Big Harrison as well, his dad. Absolutely. Phenomenal. So obviously things have, have moved on since. I mean, you, You've already intimated that you're involved in the utility company as well. So what, what, what other businesses have you got at the moment, say, within the, I suppose, the Michaela group? Yeah, so we have um, a property maintenance company. So okay. we maintain around 3,000 houses for landlords and um, developers. And we have a property company where we 
where we buy properties ourselves and, and do them up. And I have the business which I went on to The Apprentice with. I got the investment after the show and launched that company, which is the lead generation platform for the construction industry. Okay. Is that similar to like what Glenigan's used to be or, or something similar to yeah. that? Or? Yeah. We're only regional. We're just in the Northwestern in my opinion the functionality of our websites are a lot better it's a lot easier more simple and um the data is more current the data gets sent to us as well as us um, scraping it from government's platforms uh, i think they just mainly get it from scraping it so we have a lot of original data on that as well. what are your plans for the future then to be a millionaire <laughs> <laughs> i don't think you're far away from it at the moment though are you but um, I don't really know. I don't have any set plan. I'd, I'd like to think that by the time I'm 45, I have a property abroad. Um, my house will be fully paid off because I still have a mortgage, as most of us do. And hopefully at some point, me and Harrison will actually start living together because we have a child and we don't live together. <laughs> so, so maybe we'll grow up moving. Yeah, so Harrison. He's um, got a business that he launched off the back of The Apprentice. He got the investment as well. And so his business works from London. So he still lives in his uh, house in London and I still live in my house in Bolton and we commute every other weekend. Um, so it'd be nice to maybe have a bit more stability <laughs> and live together. I can imagine, yeah, it, that must be difficult. Bolton, so I just don't know if it's ever gonna happen because we're both really stubborn. At least you've got, I suppose, there's ways and means of keeping in touch, you know, certainly via, you know, like um, FaceTime and things like that, aren't there? Certainly with kids are involved. Yeah, you know, nice though. Do you know when you have a wife in there full time, you feel like, oh, you should really wash your hair or like shave your legs or whatever. I really, I don't have to do any of that all week. I can just, lots of it in my pyjamas with greasy hair and do that for one. And then when I see that, <laughs> my skin's in amazing condition. <laughs> <laughs> I get that, I suppose. Um, <laughs> have you had help along the way? What, who would you say was your biggest mentor? Yeah, I have had loads of help along the way. I've got a lot of people to be, to be thankful to. There isn't one person in particular. However, when I very first started up, as I said, I knew nothing about accounts, but things like this. And where my offices were, or who we rented the office was, it was a butcher who uh, had his shop over the road. He had made these amazing sausage sandwiches. So he used to go there every day, fat bee. And um, he up a sausage sandwich and some um, bookkeeping tips as well. He, he, he was an old chap who, he must have been like, late 70s at the time as well still cracking on though to the first one but he, he loved to teach people and so i he, he taught me like oh you have a, a paying in book a paying out like your purchase ledger and it was a real old school method of, of accounting when i first started up i just kept all my invoices in all my invoices out receipts and that's that's how i was functioning for a few months then i realized actually we're putting a load of stuff through it I need to get a proper accountant, but he really helped me to understand the foundations of business, albeit in an old school method, but that was really important for me to understand the basics when I when we first started up. But there's been people like 
loads along the way. People who don't seem as experienced as you, super helpful. You know, people see things that you don't see. So I am like a sponge. I will speak to everybody about everything and try and find out anything that I can to make me more successful in business or in marketing. You know, there's so much that we can learn off each other. Um, and I, I do not think I know everything at all. I, I probably know 0.5% of what I should do. So I'm, um, I'm always happy and eager to, to speak to people and pick up tips and advice where I can. Phenomenal. What would you say the four biggest lessons you've learned through your career have been then? Um, delegate massively that you, your staff are the most important asset your business will have. So treat them well um, and make sure on the interview, it's so difficult. I find interviewing so difficult, by the way. I hate it. Again, the anxiety thing. But I, I'm a terrible judge of character and I just really believe what people say. And then I give them their job and they oversold themselves to me. So it is about finding the, the exact right person for that role and then you being able to trust that you can delegate whatever it is to them and walk away. I have an amazing technical director who I just could not function without as a human being at this point let alone as running my business he's just brilliant um he's brilliant to for me to bounce ideas off him if i'm stressed he knows how to make me not stressed um and he doesn't like do anything he'll just say to me like it's not a problem i'll sort it out i'm like thank you thank god for this man so delegating and um and, and treating yourself well is super important the most important thing probably outsource anything technical that you can't do yourself accounts marketing uh, anything that's going to be real time consuming that is a business in itself you focus on what you're good at and if you've got the money to invest in, in getting somebody else to do it then then outsource it or obviously get somebody in who who is good at that role so if it is marketing rather than using an agency get somebody in to do it for you because you just can't do it all successfully it's impossible um invest back in the business which i was a nightmare at and didn't do i just used to go on really loads of holidays and buy Louboutin shoes which was a massive mistake i should have spent it back in the company so yeah do that from day one important and um clock off you, you have to have your time to yourself so if you're working nine till five then work nine to five if you're working seven till seven whatever you set your hours at but you need to have a point where you clock off and you do something with your kids with your family with yourself go swimming look after your mental health you have make sure that you have time for yourself because there is no point in just working like a dog around the clock and um, it's just it's not it's not fun and i don't think it's sustainable and in the end it it won't make you successful you know that that's such a, a, a good point um leads me to i suppose one last question which i didn't actually plan on asking you but you know you you run a number of businesses you you've got a, a young family you, you've got a, a regular commute between bolton and london you know how do you actually you know from a well-being point of view how do you actually kind of cope how do you deal with that abundance of wine <laughs> Um, at least you're honest <laughs> during the week but i will have a drink friday and saturday i always have a couple of glasses of wine um but no that, that isn't i just don't i i have worked on myself and my own mental health for the whole of my life um due to traumas as a child and all these panic attacks that, that i always used to have so i can 
feel when I'm getting too stressed. I know myself now when I am doing too much, when I'm going to burn out. I know when it's time to take a minute and relax. So I just, I have time for myself. I set what time that's going to be. Every day I make sure that I'm home for 5.30. I spend time with my kids. I make tea. I will have a play together, give them both a bath. Uh, we read the bedtime stories. And when they're in bed, then I have time to myself. So whether it's I just sit and watch Netflix or I read a book or whatever I'm choosing to do that evening, I make sure that I, I have the evenings, a couple of hours in the evenings as well to myself. If it's a complete necessity, as it has been during these last few months because of the lockdown that's been going on, then I've been having to work in the evenings when I put the kids to bed. But I will knock that on the head at the earliest opportunity. That will stop and I'll make sure that, again, I have, I have a couple of hours each day to myself because, I mean, you deserve a couple of hours each day to yourself to do whatever it is you choose to do. Without a doubt. Now, you're getting to the, we're getting towards the, the end of the interview. So the, the last question I always ask is if you, if you were to have a tea party or a dinner party at yours and, uh, and there were three people, alive or dead, that you could invite, who would it be? Jesus, because I want to know if he, if he, I think he was a magician, so I want to see how good he, he was, actually. I think he was a, a trucker. Um, you just want him to turn water into wine, though, don't you, really? Yeah, I mean, and that as well. And I really like bread, actually. He was going to make it bread, so it was perfect evening with Jesus. Um, Probably the Queen, because I think she's a bit of a ledge. I know people, some people really hate the monarchy, but I just love her. I think she's a legend. She's lived through so much. I'd be, um, I'd be amazed to, to really find out what it's like living that life and how much insight she's got into other countries and the wars and what really went on. I'd love to peck her head. And Winston Churchill is, um, I think he's amazing. Again, controversial character, uh, but I think he's, he is an amazing, he's a fascinating character. I think what he did, the balls he had for the decisions that he made in the end, um, changing the, the way that the war ended up is to be respected. And I appreciate he is, made some controversial decisions over time and um, terrible decisions as well. But I think he is a fascinating character, so I would love to speak to him and see how he really works. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's always the case, isn't it, that um, tough leaders sometimes have to make controversial decisions. Not always the right ones either, but equally, they've still got to make those calls. They've got to make those judgment calls, haven't they? Yeah. yeah. And I mean, he made he made some terrible decisions. You can't you can't sit ever and, and defend some of the things that he did, um, and you judge him how you will. I, I'm still completely fascinated by him. I think he made some great decisions as well, and and I'm glad that he is still respected for those decisions in spite of um, of other things that he did. I think he's yeah a fascinating human being, and I really wish that I could have a meal with him actually jesus the queen and winston churchill that that'd be intense actually i should have maybe stuck like um adam sandler in there to lighten the mood but um we'll go with I'm the fourth one adam sandler <laughs> i'm sure he'd turn up if given the given the guest list i'm sure he'd turn up <laughs> potentially yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> thank you very much indeed for for coming on to the podcast and for telling your story um, yes uh, it's been an absolute pleasure yeah, it's been great. Thank you. I All hope right. it, if anybody's 
listening and, and needs them spurring on or just to know that they are not alone when you feel like your world is going to shit every business owner out there feels the same absolutely thank you <laughs> no. well thank you again to Michaela for taking time out of a busy schedule and going through a founder story with us it's all we've got time for this week sadly we're going to be taking a short two-week break uh, but we're going to be back with season two of Cast IQ uh, in about a fortnight. In the meantime, if you could subscribe and leave a review for us, that'd be really good. Uh, we don't fund our podcast through advertisements and we don't charge for content. All that we do ask is that you you share the stuff that you find is of value. Um, hopefully speak to you in a fortnight's time. Thank you again. <laughs> <laughs>